Hey, everybody, and welcome to week two. Um, looks like we've got some folks trickling in. I'm really excited for these next couple of talks. Uh, we're going to hear from Aaron first. Um, he's going to be talking about ES6, and uh, it should be really interesting to see what we're uh, going to be getting next out of JavaScript. So, uh, Aaron, it's all you. I'm going to go ahead and mute, and uh, if there's any issue or anything, then I'll unmute and I'll let you know. Okay, so I have a question. If people if people want to ask questions, how am I going to see those? Um, they can ask them in the chat, and I can read them. Okay. If you see any, will you just be like, hey, will you come in and be like, hey, Frosty? Yep, I can do that. Thanks, man. All right. Okay, I hope everyone's doing good, and um, I'm excited to be here to chat with you guys on this uh, inaugural... JS remote, JS remote comp. We're going to talk about um, ES6, which um, is a lot of stuff to learn. It's it's more than you than you thought it would be, and um, there's a lot to cover. I I've given you know seven eight hour classes on this stuff, and so we're going to try and cover it in you know an hour, including questions. So it's kind of crazy. I'm going to pull throw up some links on um, on my browser though. And I want you guys to feel free to look at them. Uh, if you go to Equascript.org, you can see the Harmony proposals. Uh, I'm not going to define what Harmony is, um, just because I wanted to talk more about the features. But if you come to the, you can see all the Harmony features, which are all the current features and all the future features that they're currently talking about um, for Equascript 6. And um, you know, there's there's a, there's a huge list of them, and a lot of them we're, we're going to be talking about today. And some of them are going to get talked about um, in the ES7 release, and some of them are even going to get pushed off longer than that. But as you can see, there's a, a whole whole ton of, of improvements here uh, to the language. And um, I'm sure you can go find some histories of JS talks out online that will give, give us a little bit more perspective into um, uh, where these changes came from, because there's a lot of um, rich history to it. So... I want to talk. I want to start by saying I've given this presentation before, and uh, when I gave it, it was a lot of slides, very little coding. I'm going to try something different today. I'm going to do mostly coding, and I'm going to have it evaled live into um, using a, a utility called Six to Five. And so I kind of wanted to to show off what Six to Five is real quick. So Six to Five is a library that allows you to write um, ECMAScript Six. And it will transpile it into ECMAScript 5 or something, you know, something that the older browsers or browsers that don't have fully implemented ES6 yet can, can understand. So it allows us to use all the new syntax. And um, when I say all, I use that loosely. It's, it's, it's not all, but it's a lot. <clears throat> and to just kind of help you understand how much it is, um, I'm going to go ahead and take you to the compatibility tables, which is kind of... It's going to show off all the support from all the different browsers um, right now. So if you, a guy named, his Twitter handle is KX. He's got a sweet compatibility table here, and you can see the URL to go check it out on your own. But he's got a table with, all, down the left side, he's got all the different features coming out in ES6. And um, you can see their, their support in the different browsers that are out there. So um, you've got your IEs, your Firefoxes, your Chromes. Um, you got your mobile stuff, and you, and you've also got like this section on the left, which is your transpilers, your compilers. 
which take the new JavaScript and turn it into something older that people that the, the older browsers can can understand. And if you look six to five, has got seventy eight percent of the features on this table already implemented. So that's why I'm going to use six to five today. Tracer has got some things I like more about it. I feel like it's more um, accurate in its com compiling, but six to five has got the stuff that we're going to need to get going. Um, this table looks super incomplete. Um, there's a lot of red on there, and people are like, whoa, what's going on? I'm going to show you the ECMAScript 5 compatibility table just to kind of contrast it. Like that's, you know, kind of what we were hoping to see with ES6, where everything looks good, all the features exist in all the browsers. Granted, ES5 was significantly smaller than ES6. So um, this is what it's looking like every day. You can come in here, and you can kind of check out... Um, you know, you'll see Chrome a few months, like a month ago, Chrome was down at like 36%. So now it's up to 48. Um, Firefox is up to 68. That one's growing too. So they're just kind of slowly going on. I think it's pretty cool to see that um, IE technical preview is the highest of all browsers. Like that gives me a lot of hope for the new Spartan release coming out. Hopefully, hopefully it's awesome. Anyway, so these are all the features. We're going to talk about this stuff today. We're going to talk about these features, and it's a lot to go through. Um, I'm using Webpack. I don't know if that's important to the um, presentation, but anyone who wants to understand what it is I'm using, those are um, that's one of the tools along with Six to Five. And if anyone's interested in in kind of getting their own um, starter project going with ES and maybe playing around with it, out on my GitHub, which is just Aaron Frost, um, I've got a, a starter repo which is ES six four ES six slash starter. It's got everything you're going to need to get going, and it's going to have the stuff what we're using today. So um, having said that, I'm just going to kind of jump in to the list of features that we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to skip talking about the history of JavaScript, and we're just going to go in and talk about these different features. These are the main features that everyone's going to have to deal, um, learn, and so I'm going to explain them to you. So for proper telecall, there's no great implementations of it, so I'm just going to use a slideshow for that. Um, so for proper tail calls, um, there's there's kind of a lot to understand for it. But Dave Herman, he he he, I quoted him on it. He said, "Proper tail calls is the property of an asymptotic space complexity of a language's runtime behavior. That is, in an improperly tail recursive languages, control can consume unbounded amounts of space for programs that, when run in properly tail recursive languages, only require a constant amount of space. That's kind of hard to understand, but what he's saying is." Uh, when you when you write recursion, which is a, a function called itself, if the language um, properly implements tail calls, uh, it can make that it can do that recursion without like constantly growing your memory and like blowing your stack eventually. And currently, JavaScript doesn't have that. You can only get to about ten thousand um, iterations before you die. And um, with proper tail calls implemented, it could it, you could we we would we'll have uh, recursion into our stuff. So this is an example of what would happen in improperly, improperly tail recursive languages. Um, the more um, the more recursive calls you make, the memory just kind of grows, and this is what it would look like in a proper tail call language. Um, so I'm going to kind of skip straight to an example. Um, so over here in my editor, I've got um, some futuristic JavaScript written in ES6. And it's going to just kind of live reload over here into my browser, and we're going to check it out as it does that live. 
So um, this factorial, as it runs, and there, like I said, this doesn't currently, like there's, this isn't successful. We're not going to be able to really get a good sense of what's going on. But if we change um, this factorial to run um, only maybe a thousand iterations, it'll run and it will get us to infinity, right? But if we change it up to a thousand, a hundred thousand iterations, it dies because it says the stack, um, the stack blew. It, it ran out of memory. And with PTC, we'll be able to do this kind of thing up to a hundred thousand iterations, up to more without blowing our stack. So that's PTC, uh, proper tail calls, um, proper recursions. It goes by a couple of different names. So uh, because we have a lot to talk about, I'm going to kind of just skip on to the next thing, which is let. So let me go ahead and check it out. Um, get checkout let. Okay, so here we are at let. Um, in talking about let, we do, we're going to talk about let. We're going to we're going to talk about block functions. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and kind of show off. This is, and if if my font's not big enough, please let me know. In fact, I'm just going to change it real quick because it looks like it's too small. Okay, so this is a, a basic let. You know, you kind of use it the same way you use var. And over here, um, we're not going to have any output in, in our console. So, um, like, there's nothing to see here. But I'm going to scroll on to this next um, example. And um, I'm going to save this. And it's going to, over here, it's going to log um, BS3. So, um, it, like, I'm like, I, I declared it as b equaling 2. I can reassign the value. So I'm just trying to let everyone see. You reassign it the same way you can reassign uh, variables using var. I mean, it, it, it's very, very similar to how var works. And then we're going to talk about the differences um, coming up here um, going on. So the problem is that the difference is that we get scope. And I'm not going to cover variable hoisting in this presentation because um, that's, a, that's a big topic, variable hoisting. Um, there's a lot of talks out online. I've given some talks you can find on YouTube about what variable hoisting means. But in the past, if you did an if statement like this, and um, inside your curly braces on your if, if you declared a new variable like bar, if you used var bar instead of let bar, it actually kind of carries that var bar outside of the curly braces so that the bar, bar will be accessible later on. But with let, it kind of traps this variable inside these curly braces. So now we have scope in JavaScript, which isn't something that we used to have. The only scope we had was a function. And so a lot of times people ended up wrapping stuff in functions or doing a lot of weird naming stuff to, to kind of get scoping. So in this, in this example over here, we get an error that bar is undefined because it actually couldn't find it down here in this thing. So I'm just kind of showing off that let um, does include scoping, which is which is awesome. Um, we've got a question in the chat. It's since ES5 doesn't have let, only function and throw scope. Uh, what will using let through the transpiler do for your performance? Um, is it fine? I can show you the code if that's what you're asking. Um, in in tracer, it'll be not as optimal as let as uh, sorry as um, six to five because I think tracer is doing more stuff but this is this is basically what um, six to five is gonna do like every time you go inside of inside of a brace it just uses var and then it puts an underscore before it and then if you try and use it outside of that curly brace 
it goes back to the original name, which is why we're getting the error. Does that make sense? Um, it, but to answer it shortly, I don't think it will. T it, it, it's not going to be a huge performance issue. I, I wouldn't be too worried about it. That's a good question, though. Thanks for interrupting me, Chuck. Feel free to, to interrupt me if there's more questions. There's a lot of stuff to cover, and um, hopefully we get a chance to talk about it. So um, in this one, we're going to say um, let d equal 0, and then inside of our new scope, we're going to say let d equal 2. If we log d in here, we get 2, and you can see that over here. That happened. And at the end, d is back to 0. So it actually had two Bs inside the same area. And this is actually kind of unique because like in Java, if you have a method and you have um, some sort of variable with one name and then you go inside an if statement and try to redeclare a new variable with that name, it actually freaks because it doesn't like you reusing names inside of a function. But um, in JavaScript, we're going to be able to do that. Um, and I'm sure there's other languages besides Java, the first one I tested it in. So anyway. If there's any questions about what I'm saying here, feel free to pipe up. Um, so um, in here, uh, I've declared D, and then I've redeclared it down here. And in 6 to 5, this is going to work just fine, but it's actually not a legal syntax. Okay, In, 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 this, in the ES6 spec, you shouldn't be able to redeclare a same variable inside of, of a given scope. So. Um, this 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 would be an example of something that you would get a runtime you'd get a compile error or a runtime error. So I'm going to show off some scopings here, um, some different types of scopes. So we have a scope on an if statement. You have scope on switches. So like we could do our let c equal two down here. So you, and so this scope right here on your switch would work. Um, your loops, um, your loop bodies are scopes. So that's um, a new kind of scope lexical scoping that you have. Um, there's something called the temporal dead zone. I'm not going to really cover very well. Um, I'm actually going to kind of, I'm going to skip it right now because uh, I don't really want to explain it. A lot of people are going to be bothered by it, but um, if you really want to know what the temporal dead zone is besides a really cool like video game like word or definition for something, go ahead and read about it online. Um, in the past one, we had four loops. Um, if we had a for loop and we used like var i as our counter, afterwards we would still be able to log i. Um, that would be a thing that we would still be able to do. But if we use let as our counter instead of a for loop, when we log, if we try and use j outside of that loop, it's actually going to give us a reference error because j doesn't exist anymore. So it actually locks your counters inside of your for loops, which is, you know, as you guys will know, that's a it's kind of a nice feature to have. Um, so const, I'm going to move on to const real quick. Um, so um, why are you not refreshing? Sorry, sometimes this webpack guy dies. Oh, he's dying because I'm trying to reassign it. Yeah. So if you try and reassign a const, the browser's going to freak out. Six to five actually won't even run. Um, so it actually looks like you left the um, the J uh, stuff above uncommented, and it's failing there. On no. Okay. No, I don't think I did. No, dude, he's not commented. Okay, so I'm gonna go ahead and undo this guy real quick. 
And then I have to. There's another thing about Webpack. He's kind of wonky sometimes. Sometimes you have to recompile stuff. So here's something that a lot of us don't even know exists currently in JavaScript that we can do. So we don't even do it. But in current JavaScript, if you just want to put down curly braces for the heck of it, in ES5, you can do this. This isn't a new thing. We just never had any purpose to do it because there was no lexical bounding to this block, so no one's ever done it. But going forward in ES6, you could just put curly braces down for no reason. You can say let something equal another thing. You can log it. And then if you get outside of it, you try and log it again, you're going to get an error like you can see over here because something's not defined outside of that block. So um, your blocks are now lexical, which is kind of cool. It give us, gives us some. So that's let in a nutshell. Uh, any questions? Okay. So I'm going to move on to rest. Git checkout rest. Okay. So rest. In other languages, we've, got, we've, we've heard of things called splat or var args. Um, or params. Um, anyway, these are some of the This is where uh, REST comes from. But I'm going to just go ahead and show it to you. This is essentially um, what REST looks like. If you open your signature, if you put a parameter that has three dots before it, it basically means it's going to catch all the rest of the parameters, however many they are, and it's going to put them into an array called other. That's um, very simply, that's what REST looks like. And we're going to go ahead and use it uh, a couple times just so we can kind of see what's going on. So if I make a method called foo, it has a rest parameter called bar, and then down here I can log um, I can log everything inside bar. And if we look, uh, it goes ahead and it, it joins that up just like an array. It has a join method. Um, so it takes all those and it puts them into one word. So this is kind of what bar is. You know what I'm saying? Or this is kind of what rest parameters are. You just put a dot 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 up in your next to it, and you get an array. It kind of gathers everything, all the rest of the parameters after that. So there are some rules around it. Um, I'm actually gonna make this a little bit smaller. We have another question. Yeah. It says, is that syntactic sugar for array dot prototype dot slice on arguments, or does it just um, do something more for you? I'm actually going to show you. That's a good question. We're going to get to that. It is different. It, you can do some. You can do some array things to arguments, but um, um, it's not the same. So, and I and I, and I kind of go straight there where it's like, dude, who cares? We already had arguments. I could have done this anyway, right? Like that foo function up above. That was nothing special. I could have done array dot prototype dot join dot call. Pass it the arguments as the this and join it on the string. It still got the same result, right? So that's not anything new. So let me go ahead and show you the differences between um, rest args, uh, rest parameters, and then just using the array prototype stuff and applying it onto your arguments. So the first thing is um, you, you'll notice is um, arguments. So I've declared a, a, a parameter up here called name when I call argumenty. And argument argumenty is going to log um, the name and then all the arguments. <clears throat> okay, and you'll notice when it logged um, the name and then all the arguments, it logged Aaron and then it logged all the arguments, including Aaron again. Can you guys see that? So the very first thing in the array is Aaron. 
So arguments pick that back up again. So it kind of got logged, kind of got taken into account twice. Whereas in RESTy, um, other only represents everything after the, the, the parameters that I actually formally specified. So Aaron ends up being in its own um, in its own variable, and then other you know this other array only ends up catching everything that I didn't speci specifically like call out in my method signature. So that's one of the differences between argument and using a rest parameter. Um, and Chuck, I'm just gonna keep going until you stop me. Thanks for helping out, by the way. So uh, there's a couple rules around it. You can only have one rest per function. It has to be the very last parameter. It can't be, it can't be in the middle or towards the end. Um, you can't use argument at the same time as you're using rest. So if you're in a rest fun a function that uses rest and you talk to the arguments object, you'll actually get an error. And then we haven't talked about default values, but you don't get any default values when you do rest. So I'm going to show you only having one per function just to kind of show off um, why that's not a good idea. Okay. So um, when you look at this function here, if we took, if we tried to have two rest arguments, like it wouldn't know where does the first one stop and the second begin. Like how much should it put in here and how much should it put in there and should it just put all of them in the first one? Like it doesn't know what to do. So that's why you can't have more than one and that's why it can't be the first one. The rest is just to kind of pick. It's kind of a container for everything else that you didn't uh, formally know what you what was coming in. So that's that's kind of ex like to show off that you can only have one per function. Parameter, um, um, like if given this scenario, if you had dot 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 bar and biz, like which ones of these should it put in bar and which one should it put in biz? Should you just put them all in bar? Like there's no like way to like logically pick your way through it. Um, it it's kind of a mess and. And you're going to get a compiler. Your, your IDE should warn you on this kind of stuff. So um, it has to be the last one. Again, you can't use the arguments object. If you try to, um, it's going to work in 6 to 5. Like, it works just fine. It went ahead and said arguments.length is 3. But um, in real JavaScript, that's like actually going to throw an error. So like in ES6. Okay. Um, I'm going to go on to no default values because default values is a pretty cool feature. But if you're using um, a rest argument, you can't say, well, if there's nothing in there, go ahead and set it to a default array of, of something else. Like, that's not a thing that you could do. Um, you'd actually get, you'd get a compiler error on that one when it eval that JavaScript. Uh, so that's rest. I feel like I'm rushing because I am because there's so much to talk about. So go ahead and interrupt me if there's more stuff to go over. I'm going to go ahead and check out, I'm going to uh, talk about spread arguments now. <clears throat> okay. We've got a question, Aaron. Go ahead. Uh, what happens to function dot 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 bar if there are no remaining arguments? You get an empty array. Is that what, is that, I think that's what they're asking, right? Yeah, you yeah. just get an empty array. That's a good question. And just to kind of show that off. Let's go ahead and do um, function foo uh, dot 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 bar. And we just go console.log uh, bar, right? And let's go ahead and call foo. 
So you can see I'm just getting an empty array, which is exactly what we would expect, right? So anyway, okay. So I'm going to move on to spread arguments. Um, spread arguments is kind of it's a way to spread out an array into its individual pieces. Okay. So if I have this number array, and if I log the array, I actually get an array of three numbers in it. But if I log and I do a dot 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 array, it's actually going to spread that array out into its individual pieces. This is why they call it spread. So instead of logging an array, it logs the individual bits that were in the array. Okay. So that's kind of a quick lesson on spread. Um, I'm going to go ahead and show you some of the things we could do. In the past, if we wanted to like spread out an array as we pass it into an into a function, we had to kind of manually, you know, if I wanted to pluck the first thing out of this array A, I had to manually pluck zero out and then manually pluck one out. You know what I'm saying? But going forward, we can just say dot 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 array. It'll just spread that array out, pass it straight into the function. The syntax is a little bit easier to read; it's less verbose. Um, I think it makes it more terse and easier to read. So. We've got That's a couple not... of questions here. Okay, go ahead. Uh, one is, are we going to be able to get default values in ES6? For example, function foo a equals one, console log. So we're a. not. So we're not on that yet. We're gonna. We'll get to default parameters. What's the next question? The other question is, is that like a splat? Uh, a splat was like the rest arguments we just talked about. Right. This is actually called spreading because you're actually. Where splat takes a bunch of spread out arguments and puts them into an array, spread does the opposite. It takes an array and spreads them out into individual arguments. Okay, so they, they do kind of go hand in hand, which is why I, I get the question. Um, uh, but yeah, they are two different things. So. One other question: Does spread call the function multiple times for each element in an array? Does spread call the function multiple times for each element? No, it doesn't. It's like right here. You're saying. On this return to thing, it's just going to spread A out into three different numbers and pass those three separate things into return to. Return to, it would get a third one, which it would ignore, right? Because there's no third parameter up here. So it's just going to ignore the third number and return. It's going to kind of flip them and return them. That makes sense? Okay. Good questions. Okay. I'm going to show you how you can combine arrays with spread. So if I have a number array with 1, 2, 3, and ABCs with ABC, and I make a new array, and I just spread out nums and array inside of it, it's going to give me an array. It gives me a new array with those three spread out, spread out as their individual sums inside of it. So can you see what happened there? It spread the 1, 2, 3 array out, and it spread the, the ABCs array out. And then it wrapped them inside this new array. I kind of did on the fly. It is kind of wonky, but you're going to see that, so you, you got to get used to, to looking at that stuff. Sorry, I hit save. Okay, sorry I'm going so fast. There's too much to talk about in too little time. Okay, so to combine arrays, um, if we... So if I wanted to make a new array B where I say get nums, I can actually make a function call, and if that returns an array, I can just immediately spread the result of that function call right back out. Okay? So if we get something that we know is going to return an array, you can just dot, dot, dot that, 
and it immediately spreads it back out into its individual parts, which ends up making up this new um, being. Okay, good questions. Okay, that's it. That's spread. Does anyone have any questions on spread? No? Okay, good. All right, let's do destructuring. Okay. okay, go ahead. Will it handle the case where an array is not returned? Um, let's try it out. Sound good? So if I say var a is equal to one dot 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 get nums, right? I say function get nums. Turn, right? And then I'm going to say um, console.log a. Yeah, undefined is not a function. Yeah, it didn't, it, it didn't like that. And I think that might be an ES, a 65 error rather than an ES6 error. So. I'm not actually 100% sure what uh, ES6 is going to do in that case. I think there. Yeah, I think you right. meant an individual value. So, like, if you return three or. Oh, oh, so if I return something. like two. Yeah. Yeah, it's still the same thing. I'm not going to be able to call it on here. So, and I think again we're getting a six to five error rather than um, an error with what's going on. Another question is: Is it faster or slower than array.prototype.concat? Um, that's a good question. It does more than array that prototype can cap, but um, it, they're probably similar. So, so throughout Aaron, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yep. Chuck, now you're now we're good. Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh. All right, I'm gonna go back to just the default mic on my Mac. Sorry, I thought he was bad. We're good. Yep, we're good. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna move on. So getting an address, it just returns an object with the city, state, and zip. So later on when you see that in the code, just know that's what's, what, that's what's going on. So you can destructure objects and you can destructure arrays. Okay, so I'm going to talk about those two things separately. Let's first talk about um, destructuring um, uh, an object. So get address is going to return an object, right? Um, in the, you'll notice I have some syntax we've never had. I actually have curly braces on the left-hand side of the equal sign. That's never a thing that we've seen in JavaScript. And when you do that, going forward, it knows it needs to destructure what's ever coming in from the right. And it knows if it's curly braces, that whatever's coming on the right is going to be an object. And it's going to look for the city property, the state property, and the zip property, and pull them off and make three new variables called city, state, and zip. Okay? 
And over here you can see that it when it logs city state zip, that's exactly what it does. So it, it pulled that object apart, if that makes sense. Like normally we construct object, we'll be like object.name is equal to Aaron, object.state is equal to Utah. But we've never had help pulling them apart. Um, and this destructuring helps us pull them apart easy. So that's that's what happened there. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next. We can alias those properties as well. So like um, if we have city, state, and zip, uh, and I don't want to call them in my function, like on the object they're called city, but I want to call it C in, in my code. If you just say city colon C, state colon S, uh, zip colon Z, it, go ahead, it goes ahead and it, it makes three variables called CS and Z. And then if I try and log these guys, I, I'm actually going to get an error because it didn't make a variable with those names. So if I, if I comment that out, uh, you can see that my CS and Z, those are the alias names of those properties inside the address. So that's how you do aliasing. You use a colon and then the alias name you want to get. Um, so what this does is it kind of gives us um, an easier way to, it, it's going to save us some code inside of our functions. Because a lot of us, like historically, we've always spent the first few lines of our functions, like pulling apart the incoming parameter, if you guys know what I'm saying. Like the first few lines will be like, name is equal to person on name, A is equal to person on age. And um, so a lot of that, that's what we spent a lot of the first lines of our code doing. You know what I'm saying? Um, but going forward, using the structuring, that stuff will look like this. So it's it's a little bit easier to read like this. Like you know you got a name and an age and you just pull it out of the, the incoming person parameter. You know what I'm saying? So um, and that we can actually make that even easier. Like if we wanted to um, throw that straight up just in the method signature, we can destructure straight in the method signature just to get all that destructuring code out of our function bodies and just straight up into the signature. That's another thing that we can do is just put it straight up there in our function signatures. Um, it's 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 less it's more readable. I think there's no lines of code in our functions, and I think it's I think it's more readable than what we've had, what we've had in the past. But like going forward, um, like in the past, not only have we spent the first few lines destructuring, but we've also done like data proofing, where we sit there and we're like, well, we also give them default values, and so we spend the first few lines pulling these things apart, making sure they're not undefined because we can't get into the internals of our function with undefined values. So as we pull them apart, we make sure there's some sort of default value, right? Well, going, going forward, you can use destructuring with default values, and it kind of gets it all up in the signature of your function, and it's the least amount of lines possible. Um, I think, it, for me, this is easier to read than cluttering up the tops of all functions with code. Um, so we say, hey, if name's undefined, the default name is Mr. Smith. If age is undefined, it's 18. And we'll talk more about default assignments, default uh, values in a second. But this is kind of the syntactic sugar on top of what we've currently been doing that will save us a lot of lines of code. I'm and sure there's some questions. questions. Yeah. Yeah. Go uh, ahead. First, would let city state zip equals get address be the same as your first example? You might need to just read this one out of the chat. Um, okay. The order of the variable names is different. Okay, I'm not seeing it, sorry. 
You don't have to scroll up just a just a bit. Aaron would let Ziv Eagle get out. Be the same in your first example. The order of the rebel. oh yeah no totally. It doesn't matter the order. Like um, if it could be in reverse order, it doesn't even matter. Um, and actually, I had a whole section in this talk prepared talking about destructuring patterns because they were intended to. If you try and like, let's say you try and pull a property that doesn't exist out. Like, um, let's say I, I tried to pull out um, here. I'll do it on this example right here. So let's say this this person only has a name and age, but let's say I also tried to pull off email. Okay, it was supposed to throw an error. Um, like that was what it was intended to do. But just like two weeks ago in January, changed the spec to be like super giving. So if you try and pull a property off that doesn't exist, it will be like super forgiving where it was intended to be um, not not very forgiving at all. But going forward, it will be more forgiving, and we'll pick up the less forgivingness stuff in ES7. That's kind of it. Got kind of got pushed. So I actually spent some time redoing all these slides, even though I've talked about them before, because they did recently change that stuff. That's a great question. Um, we had another question, didn't we? Um, so if you try and destructure like a number, yeah, you'll get a you'll get a syntax error. Like it, like when it sees on the left hand side. Um, of the equal sign or up in your signature, these these uh, braces, it has to be whatever's incoming has to be an object. Um, if it's a primitive like a date or um, or whatever, like let's say you pass the date in here, it would look for date dot name and it would be undefined, so it would it would assign the default thing. And if you pass the date in and, or like a, a number, it would look for number dot age, which would be undefined, so it would trigger this default assignment. So you'll get undefines if you pass um, not objects in. That's a good question, though. I think that's all our questions. Any other questions? OK, I'm going to keep going then. Um, you can also destructure like the catch, um, uh, your your catch parameter, try catch. That's another thing you could destructure. Um, not that you would, but you could. Um, then there's the pattern I was going to talk about. I'm actually going to skip that part, and I'm going to go into nested. Um, so, like, let's say I wanted to go inside, and I wanted to pull name, age, and I wanted to pull city, state, and zip out. With destructuring, you pull name, age, and then you reference address property, and you destructure it with city, state, and zip. So that way, when I log that, I actually get Aaron 35 Salt Lake City, Utah, A4115. So it actually pulls those all out. This is how you do the nested syntax, and it pulls them all out in individual variables. So that's another thing you could do. Um, okay, and then you can alias inside of that as well. Um, like if you wanted to alias city to C, state to S, and zip to Z, you could do that as well. And then you could just log them C, S, and Z. That's another thing that would be totally fine to do. And you can see it logs it just fine. It recognizes what's going on. So a, a lot of alias and nesting going on. And, and you're going to see a lot of those weird patterns going on. Um, and they're going to get weirder in ES7, I promise. And I'm sorry for it. OK, now we're going to get on to destructuring um, arrays. Okay, so imagine you have an array with like 10 things in it. 
Um, and I want to pull out the first one, the second one, and then I want to pull out the tenth one as well. And I want to put them into a variable called first, second, and tenth. Um, again, we have new syntax where you've got these curly braces on the left side of the equal sign, which is what kind of what triggers the destructuring. And it's going to need whatever's coming in on the right to be an array. Otherwise, you, you'll get an error. But when we log this, we're going to get first, we're going to get 1, 2, and 10 because we pulled out the first, or the first index, the second index, and the tenth index. So that's how you destructure. Uh, and you can alias them whatever you want. It doesn't have to be first or second. You could call them, you know, foo or baz or whatever, whatever it's significant of. Um, you could use it to swap variables. So in the, in the past, when we wanted to swap a variable, we had to make a, a new variable called temp. And we would say temp equals A, A equals B, and then B equals temp. And that's how you swapped the variable in the past, right? Um, but going forward, we can just say, um, we can say, I want you to pull out the first and second thing here. And I want it to pull it out of an array made up of itself. So that's kind of the new way of swapping a variable. It may take a second to see in to see what's going on there, but it takes an array with A and B in it, so one and two, and it flips them to two and one. And if we save that, it logs it as two and one. Cool stuff, you know. Okay. You may want to do um I'm gonna skip that one and go straight into nested. So you guys can all have an example of nested. So here I've got a, I've got one array on the outside, and then the third index or yeah the third index so index two is another array, and inside of that one, index two is another array. So I can just kind of pull those out, and I can pull out the one, the three, and the six by just kind of referencing it by you know where they're at inside the array and by using the right pattern. And that's what allows me to pull out the 1, the 3, and the 6, and it logs the 1, 3, and the 6 over here. So that's kind of how you do nested with arrays. I'm sure there's some questions I'm not reading. Nope, no questions. Okay, nothing? Okay, good. If they come up, I'll stop you. Okay. So um, you can also use it with like a spread, right? So if you say, go ahead and um, let... X be the first thing coming in, Y can be the next thing coming in, and then just let Z gather up all the rest, right? And when we do that, we get AA Ron up in an array. So um, that's, that's, that's another thing you can do. You can kind of rest those in as you, as you do your spread argument stuff. I hope someone got that joke. Anyway, but if you have more questions on... Um, on destructuring, uh, Axel Rauschmeier, who is one of my heroes, actually has a pretty sweet blog post about it, and I put it in the in the uh, in the notes here. But he kind of talks about all the new changes. He he does a lot more examples, and he's he's significantly more thorough. He's he's got a, a plenty of time to talk about it. So if you want to learn more about it, head over to his blog. So any other questions before I move on? Yeah, I'm going to go to arrow functions. Okay, arrow functions. Um, they're, they might be easier than you think. 
So in the past, we could say let function 1 equal an array that returns 2. And going forward, I can say let function 2, and I got this new syntax. And that's the, these kind of, these two things are the equivalent of each other. Um, you'll notice that on the arrow function, I didn't have to use the word function before the parameter, so I didn't have to put function here. You'll notice I didn't put uh, curly braces around the body. Um, even though I could, it wouldn't, it wouldn't freak out if I did, but I didn't. Um, and um, I didn't use the word return to get it to return. It just, it, whatever, if it's a one-line arrow function, it will implicitly return the first line. So those are some of the advantages that you're going to get out of them. Um, these things I did a project last week with um, with Lodash and using it is using six to five. It makes your Lodash code look really sweet. Um, okay, so there are some trickiness around the parameters, and some people like don't blame me. I can't defend what I'm about to explain. I can only explain it. Um, so you don't always have to have. Um, hold on, I'm going to comment this guy real quick. You don't always have to have the parentheses around the parameters. So if there's no parameters on your function, you have to have parentheses. If there's one, only one parameter, you can optionally use parentheses around your parameters. So by parameters, I mean to the left of the arrow. So you could either have it with parentheses or you could have it without parentheses. It doesn't really matter. But then if you go back up to two or more, you have to have parentheses again, okay? So, like, if I if I uncomment this out, you're gonna get an error because it's like, dude, why is not defined? Like, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. So, if I just wrap that up, the error goes away and it logs it just fine. So, the question is, just to be safe, just use parens. Uh, yeah, I think most people will use parens, but don't be shocked when you get into some code that that only has one function and doesn't do it. Like when you're in Lodash and and you're just like or like D3 where you're doing like a data function and you just need to say D and then return the X, Y or whatever. Uh, um, a lot of these arrow functions are going to be like, they're going to exclude the parentheses and they're going to exclude the curly braces and it's just going to be like D and then DXY. Like it's going to be super terse and you need to get used to reading it that way. So good question though. Okay. So um, square, um, if we don't want to use return, we just leave the braces off, and it will just implicitly return whatever line of code we put here, okay? Um, but if we want to, if we, for, for, for whatever reason, we need to do two lines or more, like, so more than one line, we actually have to explicitly say what we want to return. So for short functions where we're just returning something, like the code can be super terse, right? But when we want to like do multiple lines inside of our body, then, then you're going to have to start using the return word again. But you never have to use the word function, which is nice. Okay? So a lot of us are like, cool, this is just like function, right? But it's not like functions. Um, actually, I'm going to give one more example just to kind of show how nice it is. When you do like an, uh, an array.map, um, this is how you could map it out. And... Um, We've left off, you know, everything that we could leave off. We've kind of given you a minimal example here, and that will just kind of like return the the square of everything that's in there. So there's another question: um, yeah. braces with one line need parens? 
Races with one line, it's like right here. They don't need prints, but they need the word return. Okay. So the second you add braces, you're going to have to drop the, the word return in there too. Otherwise, it returns undefined. Otherwise, you're going to get a compile error. I mean, it's not your, your app. Not gonna, I mean, your app will die, but hopefully you refresh at least once before you like shift to production, right? So um, here's, here's kind of the real benefit of arrow functions, though. Um, when you look at this code right here, I'm going to make this guy a little bit bigger because I want to see if anyone can tell me uh, what's going on here. When I click this, it says undefined is not a function, okay? So I have a widget. It calls a knit, which all the knit does is it adds an event listener for click to the to the document. And when I click it, it's going to say this dot do something, which hopefully would just log to do something, right? Does anyone know why this does an error? Why I'm getting an error? Um, I don't have any audio feedback, so it's because um, yeah, Stan, you got it. It's it's because this inside the callback isn't referring to the widget anymore okay so um, this actually refers to the document which doesn't have a do something method it refers to the window sorry which doesn't have a window that do something so that's why we're getting an error here and there's a couple ways we can get around it we can bind we can do a bind on the handler we can we can do something like this var me equals this and then we can change this to me and then it will work. Um, but like, short of doing that kind of wonkiness, uh, like you have to do like mad workarounds to get that to work. So this is where the real benefit of an arrow function comes in: is it 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 binds to whatever this was when you uh, when the function was declared. So if I change this to an arrow function. Right? Then I don't have, like, it will know what this was because when it got declared, this referred to the widget. So now it just works. So using arrow functions will bind whatever inside of it to the this that existed when the function was declared versus when it was um, run at runtime. And if, hopefully, there's no question on that because. You have to kind of play around. If you don't understand this, that's a long topic to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to move on because like, I'm pretty proud of everyone. There's no questions. Okay. So there's some differences between um, there's some differences between uh, functions and arrow functions, and I just want to show those off. So if the type of an arrow function is function, however. Um, like, because this foo is a function, I can instantiate a new one. But bar is an arrow function, and it actually doesn't have a it doesn't have the function prototype. So when I try and new this up, it's actually going to give me an error. Okay, so six to five allows this. Six to five doesn't freak out, but it should. Um, when you get into ES six, if you write this where you try and new up an arrow function, ES six will die regardless of what six to five does. So that was just one, that's like one major difference. And while this may seem like a bad thing, it's actually a really, really good thing because if going forward all we use was arrow functions and not functions, then we wouldn't be passing around all these functions that have this prototype on them. They'd be like more lightweight. And we could just kind of use, if, if we use classes going forward only, 
then functions would be a lot more lightweight and, and you'd have less of a memory footprint inside your code. So another thing, because it doesn't have a prototype, um, is you can't, you can't, like if I, if I make an arrow function, I can't say function.call and pass it an object. Like 6 to 5 is going to allow this, um, but, um, but uh, ES6 is not going to allow this. You can't call call and apply on an arrow function. We have another question. Yeah. Um, so Baba asked, why introduce more confusion around what this is? Good question, man. I don't know. I don't, I, I, oh, we're trying to conform. One of the principles of the, the TC39 is to adopt modern standards from other de facto standards is what they call them. Whatever the de facto standard is for other languages, we'll adopt them. And so lambdas and um, arrow functions are kind of a thing that they got from other languages. Java's getting them. They um, CoffeeScript's got two different flavors of the arrow function, like a fat arrow and a skinny arrow. We're following the fat arrows. That's why we adopted the, the equal sign on the arrow instead of the hyphen in the arrow, because we're trying to copy that version of it from CoffeeScript. Uh, they're just trying to conform to what other people are doing, but that's a, that is a great question, and, and I can understand why people would be bothered by it. Any other questions? You've got no? about five minutes left, Aaron. Oh my gosh. Okay, uh, I'm going to skip to classes and modules then because we're going to run out of time. So I'm going to say git checkout-f classes. You guys will like classes. This almost didn't make it in. I've got I've got in my in my code, which is all up online. I've got a link to where you can read to the drama that went on, but almost didn't get in. But this is you, this is sorry. Go ahead. Can you can you copy and paste that link into the chat? Yeah. Paste it over there. Okay. So um, classes. Um, currently, we use a function constructor, right? These two codes right here are functionally the same going forward. Function foo and class foo. We could new both of them up. It's gonna, they're functionally gonna act the same in our code. Okay, so that's something you can do. And I'm actually gonna skip down a couple levels just so we can get past some of the stuff. You could make a class called monster. Okay, and if you use symbols, you can kind of have private properties. Okay, so when you have a class, the constructor function is actually called constructor. Okay. And if you want to use a getter, like a git property, like from C Sharp or other languages, um, you say git and then the name of the function, and you could pass parameters in and, and, and set them. But when you use is alive, you actually don't call it like a function, you just use it as a property. So these are your get properties um, from a class. And um, so I'm making a new monster called Godzilla with 100 hit points, and it's just going to set the name to Godzilla. And the health to 100. So when we log it over here, um, yeah, that's what's going on. So I'm going to comment this out because we're going to move on and add some more stuff down here. So if we want to use a setter property, um, this is what it would look like. Come on. Come on, I screw something up. Oh yeah. Sorry guys, 
Okay. So this is like I just logged our Godzilla. This is what he looks like. He's got an is alive. He's got some symbol which is makes it a private property because you don't know what the name of the property is. Equal to a thousand. And then you've got his his name, which is Godzilla. Um, we can also I'm gonna skip a couple leather levels to um, You can do static, like static properties on, on top of a on top of a class. So like if I make hold on, sorry. So if I make um, on this monsters object, if I say monsters class dot all monsters is equal to some array, that's kind of like having a static variable that's that's not unique to an instance, it's unique to the class itself. And when we log that, like if I logged Monsters are all monsters after making two new monsters, Godzilla and Goku. Um, then it would go ahead and log that array um, of, of those two different monsters. Clears mud. Okay. Um, and then so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of pull off this last part, which is extending a class because this is the last thing everyone's gonna want to see. Let me go up here and comment this bloody thing out again. Okay, so when we have we have our monster class, right? And down here I can make a Godzilla class that extends monster. And when you construct it, he just calls his super constructor by calling the word super. And he passes in Godzilla and he, his hit points are 10,000. And if someone called, um, you know, Godzilla.attack, Rather than um, implement Godzilla.attack, I'm just going to call the super attack and let that kind of pass it up to the to the parent class. And as you can see, that's that's what's happening over here. It says Godzilla attacks Goku. It all it's all it's it's, it's, it's your object-oriented inheritance. It's your classical inheritance, like what you're used to seeing in other languages. You can get the same stuff done with prototypes, but um, this is in a way that, that I think people will be able to grok better. All right, I'm going to move on to the last one, which is modules. I'm sorry for skipping. Um, hit checkout-f modules. Okay. Um, so modules, here's kind of the new syntax. Like I have a file over here called foo. If I wanted to over in foo, I make a foo class and I export it. And then you import it. You just say import foo from dot foo. And that's how you can get that class in here. And I have a library file, and it, it exports a bunch of functions. It exports square root, square, and, and diag. Um, you can see what it exports right here. And if I want to just import two of those instead of all three of them, I can just import square and diag. I don't have to import square root. Or I can import the whole thing as lib. So I can say import star from, from here as lib. So now I have a lib thing that we could get. And you can kind of see this is all working, right? Like square, I imported square and it, it works. It squares things at 144. Um, if I wanted to import lodash, I can import lodash. Um, over in in lib I can import um, that's not what I wanted. I screwed up. Sorry on my slides. Anyway, so this this is kind of the module syntax. Um, 
if you guys want to get on there and play around with how it all works, that starter project's got it all set up to use modules. Like that was one of the things I specifically set it up to do was so you could use the new ES6 module syntax and kind of play around with get everything going. It's really nice though because Lodash, I just installed it with NPM. I didn't have to use Bower or anything. And like jQuery, you can just NPM install it. And then it's very similar to your common JS where instead of requiring Lodash, I just import Lodash. And it goes ahead and checks your node modules directory and gets it all imported and everything for you. So it's pretty sweet. And part of that's Webpack doing the magic, but uh, it's a pretty sweet little setup. So that's, but that's the new module syntax. I feel bad because there's a whole bunch of stuff we didn't cover. My slides are all online. If you want to look at collections or defaults or promises or generators, generators are super powerful. I've got slides on all that stuff and it's just out on my repo. So 45, uh, 50 minutes is, is, is not enough time to cover as much stuff as it's going to be. Hey, one, one question. Um, Thomas is getting his, uh, his microphone and stuff ready and he'll let me know when he's ready to go. Uh, one question is, okay. are ES6 modules compatible with RequireJS at all? Um, so they, they could maybe work together, but you won't do that. Um, when you're using 6 to 5, though, um, you can, like, if you're using Webpack in 6 to 5, um, if, if, like, I'm going to open up my Webpack config. I actually tell it to load my um, my modules using CommonJS. Or, no, no, sorry, that's not what it is. Where did I, I tell it to do comments? I can't remember where I told it to do comments. Maybe it's just this loader that tells it to do comments. Anyway, I'm doing CommonJS, but you could say do AMD instead of CommonJS to get the same, to get it to work with your other required stuff. That is something that you could do. But, I mean, having not played, because I've never been able to play with these because they're not supported in any browsers, I, I can't give you a 100% answer on that. And that's the other difficult thing about presenting about this stuff is that it's not all implemented. It's hard to give you, like, perfect answers because I've never been able to, like, try it out. And, and no one really has, right? So, yeah. Good question, though. But, yeah, like, in, in modules, there's a whole, like, system JS API thing where you can actually import it from the command line, and, and that stuff should work as well. We didn't even get a chance to show that stuff off. So, any other questions while Tom gets set up? Um, they're asking you to talk about promises really quick. Yeah. Um, get check out dash f promises. Okay. So promises. Super simple. Um, so this is kind of the syntax. Um, you make a new promise and you pass it a function with the resolver and you reject. Okay. So when you call the promise constructor, it gives you the promise back. And then I could like return that promise to whoever called me. And inside that promise callback, like instead of a set timeout, maybe I'm doing some Ajax. And I say, well, if something great happened, uh, so if true, um, why aren't you working? Oh, sorry, I screwed up. I'm gonna go. To, let me go to the next example to kind of show it off. Chuck, you cut me off anytime you need to. I'm gonna cut you off right now, actually, because uh, Thomas okay. needs to set up. And okay. the way this works 
Um, he can't set up while you're presenting. While I'm so. presenting. Okay. Sorry, guys. I tried my best. I love you. Jazz Confirmote. Have a good one, folks. All right. Thank you, Aaron. Yep. Yeah, I'm super excited to get get this into browsers and stuff. Yeah, me too. It's going to be fun. It's going to be really cool. Make life better. Yeah. Yeah, because it fixes a lot of the things that I consider to be somewhat funky at best and broken at worst in ES5. So. Yeah, totes. So do I just stand here awkwardly like staring at the crowd, or are we getting Tom on? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go into presenter mode. You guys have a minute or three to to chat amongst yourself, and uh, we'll get set up, and we'll we'll be back in a minute.